It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Joined, as always, by Seth Engel, our Post-Gazette Penn State insider, uh, also works at the Daily Collegian. Seth, how are you? Ready for another uh, fun-filled Penn State chat? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I was, you know, I was actually in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. So I got back, you know, Monday night. And, you know, first thing on Tuesday, you know, we're right back at it with with Penn State coverage. So we had James Franklin yesterday. We had uh, new special teams coordinator Justin Lustig. And we had every, you know, freshman from this past season available. So we have a ton of stuff to to discuss here. You know, I think it was our first availability since, I guess, the Peach Bowl. So, so a lot of new things to kind of go over here. Yeah, Seth, I want to get into some Super Bowl topics in a second, but just quickly, what was the experience like of, of getting to cover a Super Bowl? Something I've never been able to do, um, you're yeah. getting to do while you're still in college. How was that? Really unique. You know, it's, I think the game itself isn't much different than covering maybe a big, a big bowl game. So like I've done, you know, Outback Bowl, Rose Bowl, Peach Bowl. I'd say that the coverage of the game itself is relatively similar. But the week leading up to it is unlike anything I think I've ever experienced. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, getting a table at Radio Row and and what exactly that looks like. I had no idea what I was really getting into. Like, it's just celebrities everywhere. It's it's, it's the best athletes in, in the country just walking around doing random interviews. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting experience, to say the least. You know, it's. Um, it's, it's not like your normal weekly game coverage. Um, but then once you get in to the stadium, it's, it's basically, you know, you're just covering a game. Um, the only difference is that everyone outside of that stadium also cares about the same game, even if it's not the team that they root for. So, um, great experience. You know, I hope to be back for another, um, it's, uh, it's something, it it was really fun. Um, yeah, just awesome. Maybe one of these years the Post-Gazette will be back with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but um, I'm not holding my <laughs> breath for any time soon. Seth, let's get into the comments that James Franklin made um, on what, – what was this? Was this the, the the second signing day that we used to make a big hoopla for? Was that the, uh, the reason for this confab yesterday? I think it was less about the second signing day, um, which probably shouldn't be a thing anymore because it, it's useless. I think it was more so to welcome in um, – first week of winter workouts or last week, you know, they did this last year too, where it, it's also mainly to give those first year players who haven't talked to the media before, you know, a chance to see what it's like. And it's, you can tell when some of them sit down, um, you know, early on, they enter the room, they sit down. It's like, you can tell they're nervous. Like these are 18 year old kids. 
who have never talked to reporters before. And for some of the big names, like with Tony Rojas or, um, you know, Jackson Smolik too, like there's a lot of reporters who, who kind of crowd around those tables. So that's, I mean, it's a unique experience for them. Um, and considering they'll probably have more media coverage in the future, I think this is just a way to kind of break the ice early on. Yeah, smart move to, to kind of give them, you know, rather than throwing them into the deep end after a game, especially a game that Penn State might lose, you, you get yeah. get a chance to, you know, a little lower stakes on a day like this. Um, I know James Franklin talked, I, I think the big headline in terms of personnel was talking about Julian Fleming and A.J. Harris, um, the, the transfers from Ohio State and Georgia, respectively, at receiver and cornerback. Um, what did he have to say about that? Was, what was your reaction to it? Yeah, so he basically just went down the line and um, and talked about the new transfer additions. So, you know, the, the four most notable would be, you know, like you mentioned, Julian Fleming from Iowa State, A.J. Harris, Georgia, um, Nolan Rucci from Wisconsin, and then Jalen Kimber from, from Florida. Um, all those guys are, you know, doing winter workouts right now, and apparently they're off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, Fleming and, and Harris – are the most are the most notable and, and likely to make a difference right away, specifically because, you know, they're at major positions of need. You know, we've talked the whole year about um, a the lack of, of help at wide receiver. They need to go out and get someone good. Fleming does just that. And then B, you know, cornerback potentially being a problem this year after what we saw in the Peach Bowl. Um, and A.J. Harris was, you know, among the best transfer targets in the country. Um, so. You know, and we can talk a little bit more about Franklin's comments about the transfer portal. Um, but I, what I thought was interesting was he doesn't like the transfer portal era, but he's out here making pretty good moves that, you know, he, Penn State finished with a relatively successful offseason. I, I wanted to get into that, Seth, because, yes, he was he was saying he doesn't like the direction that college athletics is going. We're never going back to the way things used to be. Kind of bemoaned the whole NIL portal era situation but but here's my question Seth if you if you're looking at that Penn State team that played in the Peach Bowl and you're projecting it forward with no major additions you're saying man that's a fringe playoff team and they're certainly not really a threat to do anything when they get there right um and and now you add a Julian Fleming you add an AJ Harris um you add Nolan Rucci you know to, to that offensive line mix you've made the team significantly better it is it a little bit strange to hear him talk about college athletics that way? Because, um, you know, I, I definitely see the downsides. And he mentioned, yeah, I listened to his five whole five-minute comment about the situation. He mentioned specifically, oh, we don't need guys transferring three to four times. Seth, I don't think that that's typical. I, I think there are definitely guys, and, and especially with this, this COVID-inflated times where guys are getting six, seven years of college yeah. football, yeah, you might see – some aberrations and some guys getting three to four years, but I don't think that the average athlete is transferring three to four times. I think you're probably seeing what you saw before. A lot of guys maybe transferring once, maybe twice with, with a grad transfer. Um, it just seems to me that, that his, his criticism seemed a little bit over the top considering that I think it's been a net positive for Penn State this year and for um, some other years that, that you have the ability to go out and get some guys um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't problems at the margins, but I, I think on the main um, that that this helps coaches like him probably more than it hurts. Yeah, I mean, it is a little ironic, too, considering the fact that Jalen Kimber, like their new cornerback from Florida, is a three-time transfer. This is his third transfer. He also played at Georgia. Um, so, 
And he didn't, it's not like they brought in so many guys. They brought in six guys, and one of them was a three-time transfer. So um, it is interesting, right? And I think part of his message was also, you know, not so directed at the transfers, like, or the act of transferring and, and the transfer portal. It was more so about the coaches who are embracing the transfer portal in a way that we've never seen before. Um, and this is something that I think, you know, was almost specifically targeted toward Deion Sanders when I listen back on it, um, because he says, you know, we're getting away from from coaches who want to develop talent, you know, out of high school. And they're only going into the transfer portal um, to get some like immediate satisfaction. And I do agree. That's probably not the way to go. Um, and, and his whole thing is we're attracting the wrong people into college football. And people are leaving college football because now they're dealing with a league that they didn't, you know, want to want to join um, when they entered college football, Um, which I understand. But, you know, this is where we're at. You know, this is until until there are some guardrails and and some changes, you know, maybe from the NCAA, maybe from someone else. I don't know who, but um, it is a bit of a mess right now. Um, But. Yeah, he was he was pretty vocal about it. Well, I, I, I can see his point that it is probably definitely harder to coach than at any point yeah. in the past, right? Because now you've got to re-recruit your own roster. But um, and he alluded to this at the top, and I think it's fair. Well, that's what the money is for, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's all this money flowing around the coaching ranks. Um, there's all these extra coaches. I mean, these coaching staffs are huge. I think Penn State probably has a bigger staff than the Pittsburgh Steelers do, Seth, and and. You know that's what the money is for. I love that that Mad Men quote. Um, that that yeah. I mean it's 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 not 1985. It's going to take more work, but I think it's generally a better things for for athletes that they have the availability. And and you know I, I think the whole Deion Sanders phenomenon is a little bit overstated in a couple of ways. In that um, he didn't have as much success as as you know was touted. He had a nice start to the season, but they mostly lost after that point. Turning the entire roster over helped them improve by a few games, but it did not. You know, I don't. I don't think anyone's looking at the Deion Sanders model and saying that's how you team build. Yeah. I think you look at it and say he came into a disaster, already disastrous situation. Got a number of guys who probably shouldn't be playing at this that, that level out of there. And now, I mean, he's not turning over his roster that much this offseason, right? Because those are his guys that are in there. Um, and I would say number two um, that that you know the it's just it's frustrating when the media kind of gives their shtick right and I think Deion Sanders was named sportsman of the year or or the Colorado program was named sportsman of the year for transforming college football I mean that to me is more of a media creation Seth right then then um you know it's more like media people from the sideline cheering it on than then like there's this rash of Deion Sanders around the sport I, I don't see that either, and I, I, you know, I've said this kind of going back to the summer with with the conference realignment stuff that I think a lot of this this sense that that the college athletics is, you know, going to be unrecognizable and, and completely different is is a little bit overstated. Um, yeah, of course the Pac-12 goes away, and and I don't, you know, I don't like how that situation went down, but I think there's some positives to, to conference realignment as well. I, I think you brought back. A number of rivalries that weren't there. You have a little more variety in the schedule. You have more big games, um, you know, and, and you're having less of, of the schedule filler. I, I think that there's, you know, there's positives and negatives with everything. And, and I just wonder why he seems so down 
on on the negatives compared to what I think are some of the positives. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and and this goes back to I think his original point was he cares about the student athletes. At least this is what he says. You know, th- that's his number one reason for even coaching college football is because he cares about the development of these athletes that he de- that he invests so much time into from the time they're in high school. Um, and when he sees this new model of you can transfer five times or I'm a coach that's only going to bring in transfers and I don't care about your development out of high school. I think that kind of rubs Franklin the wrong way. Um, and that was, you know, really the meaning behind that whole, that whole rant yesterday um, was, was about, you know, development. And I think with Penn state too, and you look at the way that they, that they use the portal um, especially this year to go out and get guys that Franklin wanted to develop when they were 17, 18 years old, and they got away and for he uses the transfer portal to bring them back. You know, that's kind of how he's, how he's used it. And that's just not really the case um, in, at other schools. And then you kind of take NIL into account, which is, you know, a whole other thing, which we, I feel like we're not even discussing here. Um, and that's, I mean, that's messing everything up. Um, well, you know, the answer, you know what the ultimate answer is, Seth, is contracts. Yeah, that's, well, that's where I think that this is this is heading. And you have a one-year contract, you have a two-year yeah. contract, or if you're Penn State, you say we're going to invest in a four-year contract for this guy because we want him here for his whole you know college career. I mean, yeah. it's got to be to me. That's I mean, that's the solution, right? To to this 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 transfer situation, having to re-recruit your old ro- whole roster is you're coming out of high school, and, and based on on what you know the the coaching staff thinks of you, they offer you one, two, three. I mean, it's no different than the way your your average NFL team works, where you want to lock up the good players for longer, um, and I guess people are not going to like that as much, Seth. But I think that is probably closer to what the old college football was than the world that we're living in now. Yeah, but we would need—I mean, athletes would need to be technically employees of the university, which you know, with Dartmouth now, um, you know, taking a next step in that direction, you know, who knows how soon this is going to be? It probably won't be soon, but you know, maybe next couple of years, maybe next year. Two years, um, maybe something happens and we start to see some some contracts. But I do agree, like that's the even playing field right there. Like that's how you get rid of the mess because right now it's free agency, but there are no guardrails. You can leave whenever you want. You can go wherever you want. Um, and I just, I just, I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think anyone does. So, 
Yeah, and Seth, here's here's the thing though is that I, I also don't necessarily believe that other programs don't have relationships with these guys either. Though I mean, you know, I th- I was going to bring up the point of yes, Julian Fleming was a guy that they thought was coming. He said that in in his comments yesterday that they he thought was coming to Penn State ends up going to Ohio State. Nolan Rushi, someone that they were recruited hard. I remember it was a huge recruiting loss when it happened, and he went to Wisconsin. Um, because he was a big in-state guy. He was exactly the type of player, you know, at the time that, that I think a lot of Penn Staters felt like they were lacking a big five-star offensive lineman to, to kind of help them in the trenches. They don't get it. And there was a lot of scrutiny on James Franklin at the time. I think it's it's wise to to recruit that way. But I find it hard to believe that the that, that teams are just grabbing random guys without really any kind of relationship at all, A. And B, I don't know that that's a competitive advantage, Seth, to just be – throwing out you know offers to to random guys in the portal and saying come on in here we got a spot um you know i think sometimes you end up with i don't want to call him out specifically but but a dante stifa's situation where it just never clicked here um i think if you're doing that at scale seth and you're saying we're going to bring in 10 12 20 guys like that every year that that i don't know that that's a competitive advantage do you yeah i mean to be fair dante stifa's had you know, three high school teammates on uh, or two high school teammates on that team. Right. Um, and he still just really couldn't fit in. Um, but, you know, I think it's happening. You know, we bring back Colorado again. Like, it's not like all the guys they're bringing in have connections to Deion Sanders. It's not like Deion knows them and recruited them out of high school. Like, he just joined. Like, like he just came here. You know what I mean? Um, so it's they're just making those relationships now. And they're saying, well, this is Dion. You know, Shador Sanders is there, so I'm going to pack my bags and go to Boulder. Um, And I know it's not the case at every school, but, like, it is that way at a lot of schools um, where it's just kind of like, oh, I want to go to Alabama. I'm going to go to Alabama now because I can. Um, And it's, you know, it's a bit of a mess. I do see your point, though. Um, You know, teams are definitely targeting the prospects that they already have relationships with. Um, But there definitely are people going from – you know, from a North Texas to somewhere else that's strange. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I believe that it's happening, Seth. Yeah. I think it's more of like, do I believe that it's that it's it's making programs? And I just haven't seen yeah. a program course, yet yeah, where I'm right. like, yeah, I, I don't believe that it's, it's taken a program from one rung on the scale to another rung. And, and you say, wow, I mean, that's the new model now. Other than yeah. the fact that Deion Sanders did it with a lot of celebration, he went from yeah. – a program that was dramatically terrible to just regular bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> Until we see it actually work, um, I don't think that model is is going to, you know, really look good at all. And I think, I think by Ole the time the, I think Ole Miss is probably the best example we've got of it actually kind of yeah. working. I agree. Yeah, but I mean that was only this offseason too, because it's not like they were a great portal team, you know, in previous years. I think they're just going all in this offseason. Um, and we'll see if it plays out next year. Um, they should make the playoff, you know, 12 teams, and they have a pretty loaded roster, you know, arguably the best transfer class in the country. They also just lost their starting running back. See, that's the weird thing to me is when you can – you're destined to make the playoffs. You just brought in a bunch of portal pieces, and then you're starting running back. Your star running back, Quinshawn Judkins, just leaves. Like, I, that's to me, that's like, what, like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, and he goes to what Ohio State, and and yeah. and, and that, yeah, I think running back, and, and I think that is part of the thing with development that I, you know I go back to the the Cam Johnson situation when he was at Pitt and he wanted to transfer to North Carolina and what a furor it rose because um, James Franklin alluded to this a little bit too how how 
coaches tried to prevent transfers to programs within their conference to to programs they felt were were competitors. Um, specifically because I think you want to avoid everyone transferring up, right, Seth? And and I think that's I think that's bad for college football if a, a player has a great season at one level, you know, has a great season at a, a mid mid level Big Twelve team and ends up going to Alabama, right? Or if you're Cam Johnson at Pitt, you have a good season at Pitt, you end up at North Carolina, and then what what did Pitt get for its development of you for the two years that you were there? Um, you know, I think there's a, a big picture conversation to be had about. The, the health for the sport, but um, you know, in, in terms of the ecosystem, I, I guess sometimes I just I, I think things are a little bit overstated. And yes, it's harder for the coaches, but it should be harder. I mean, that's what you're making all the money for at these schools. And and if it's if it's better for the athlete to have opportunities, I think that's better than the other way around, where where some of these guys make mistakes out of high school, right? And they never recover from them. Their careers never recover. I'd rather have a situation where a Julian Fleming or a, a, a Nolan Rucci can can come back to Penn State, use that relationship, and and maybe correct a mistake that they might have made before. Seth, I know um, Justin Lustig, the new special teams coordinator, coordinator, was also introduced yesterday. What did you hear from him, and, and what are your thoughts on on him taking over the special teams group? I mean, from from all accounts, it, it seems like a good fit. Um, you know, he was well spoken. He's an Erie, Pennsylvania native. Um, he's known Franklin for a number of years and he has head coaching experience, you know, uh, and, and Penn state is kind of a job where when you're focused on the special teams, you know, Penn state special teams units have been particularly good in recent years. Um, and they have a nice little pipeline to the NFL. Um, so I think this is a pretty good job if, if you're a special teams coordinator and, and Lustig was one of the best in the country, you know, Broyles award nominee and, in 2022, I believe he was also a nominee in 2018 when he was still at Syracuse. And, uh, you know, I just think I think it's a good a good fit. And um, Penn State's returning, you know, they're they're starting punter, um, you know, obviously going to be a little bit of a, a kicker battle there. Um, once we get into, you know, the fall or late summer, but, you know, he, he seemed good. It'll be interesting to see how things play out there. Seth, I know you talked to Tig Brown at the Super Bowl. He had a big game, picked off Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, he, he had a, a playoffs where I think he he made some noteworthy mistakes, but he also made some pretty big plays. Um, I know you talked to, to him. What was your reaction to how he played in that game, and, and what did you learn from him while you were out in Las Vegas? Yeah, it was cool to catch up with him because the last time I'd seen him was his pro day. Um you know, at, at Haluba Hall. And this is when no one really knows what's what's coming next for him. No one, like he was projected maybe mid to late rounds. And we're all saying, having covered him for the past couple of years, like this is a guy who I think could have a really good NFL career. You know, he can play both free and strong safety and move him anywhere. And, um, you know, we saw him in 2021 leading the country in interceptions. And the next year he moves on to strong, he moves over to strong safety. And I think he was even better than he was the year before. Um you know, ends up going to third round of the Niners. And um, months later, I meet up with him in Las Vegas, and he's he's about to start in the Super Bowl. Um, so that was pretty cool. You know, really humble, a really humble kid. And um, to see him kind of get that pick off Patrick Mahomes, I know it was an awful pass, um, but it kind of just, you know, epitomized who Tig Brown was at Penn State. You know, the ball kind of just came to him. It's not like he was doing something like crazy all the time. Like he was just a ball hawk. Ball was just there. It finds a way. Um, and, you know, he had 11 tackles and a pass deflection. 
you know, what might stick out most is, um, you know, the, the pass to Travis Kelsey that led to the touchdown um, late in the fourth quarter. You know, Tig got burnt there. Um, you know, got a little banged up too. But um, overall, you know, for a rookie starting the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes and covering Travis Kelsey, I, I think he did all right. Yeah, it could be the start of a long career. And, you know, look, safety has been devalued in the modern NFL. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, unless you're like, you know, <laughs> like a, a Troy Polamalu type teams are probably not going to invest a lot of first round picks in those types of guys. So I yeah. think, you know, getting getting taken in the third round and, and making plays in the NFL, um, that's really all you have to do to get second, third contracts. And, and I, th- I think he's setting himself up well to do that if he keeps up what he did in his rookie season. Um, Seth, I want to talk a little bit about Ohio State as well. Former Penn State coach Bill O'Brien was their offensive coordinator for a hot second. He goes and takes the Boston College job. Then Chip Kelly promptly leaves UCLA to go to Ohio State. Um, Both of those guys were in the mix for NFL jobs. Um, They end up going to Ohio State. Seth, it it just seems like Ohio State, and and this I would say applies to to the offseason they had in the portal as well. Ohio State just seems to be able to get whoever they want, whenever they want. Um, And, and, it's it's almost like they are like viewed as a quasi NFL team as, as kind of a like residency type of th- place for for guys who who could be in the NFL that might want to be in the NFL. Um, what's what's your view of of the Ohio State offseason as a whole, rather than I guess just focusing on the Chip Kelly thing? Because it just it just seems like they operate at a different level than Penn State, certainly, and you know, arguably even Michigan. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah. Well, you know, the Chip Kelly move might say more about UCLA than it does about Ohio State for your pretty highly touted head coach to leave for an in-conference assistant job. I've never – have you ever seen that before? I've never seen that before. No, it was was crazy. Yeah, it it was unbelievable. Um, But, yeah, to your point, too, like it also – it says Ohio State can go out. Like, we will get Chip Kelly as our offensive coordinator, which I feel like is, you know, Bill O'Brien to me was a good hire. Um, a guy with, with you know, Big Ten head coaching experience, a guy with SEC coordinating experience, guy with NFL head coaching experience and coordinating experience, um, I, I think was a good move. And I think Chip Kelly, for the most part, checks some of the same boxes. Um you know, obviously he's struggled at UCLA the past couple of years, but that's also that's also just UCLA. Um, you know, that program has really gone downhill in, in, in recent years. And um, I think some of that was out of the hands of Chip Kelly. And it was only a matter of time before he left. Um, what's surprising to me is that it wasn't for an NFL job and it was actually for that Ohio State coordinating job. But like you said, kind of is like an NFL job. You know, this was – this is a team that has a stacked roster last year uh, or next year. Um, Ryan Day wants to take his hands off play calling duties and needed someone to step in, someone with, with good experience who's been around some good talent. Um, I think Chip Kelly does that for him. 
Right, and it's almost like you know the Ohio State brand provides the talent to work with, and, and I think that's how it, it is like an NFL job. Where I feel like Chip Kelly can just come in here and, and call plays. I mean, he might have to yeah. do some recruiting, but I think his name is going to do a lot of the recruiting, right? He's he's Chip Kelly, um, yeah. and and he, at UCLA you probably had to work a lot harder in recruiting, and, and that, I, I've seen some commentary that he just didn't want to do the work of of you know keeping. In this in this transfer portal NIL era, all this stuff we were talking about earlier in the show um, maybe didn't interest him as much as okay. Well, I'm not going to make as much money, but I'm not going to have to do as much work, and I can just call plays and, and kind of be a football wonk. It's always seemed to be who Chip Kelly is to me, and, and so in that sense, it, it it makes sense. It's just how many teams can 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 do that in college football? Yeah. How many how many residencies can you set up for? And it's, it's probably like maybe less than a half dozen teams. Penn State's not one, and, and I think the frustrating thing is if you're Michigan, you're, you've beaten Ohio State three years in a row. You've – which is won a national championship, one of the most dominant seasons in, in recent uh, college football history, and you still just don't feel like Michigan's at that level, right, where they can make those types of moves. Um, kind of a, a frustrating situation if you're observing it from the outside. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Ohio State is, is the way that they're set up. You're right. Like, it is – Chip Kelly's not coming in here to recruit. Um, they already have that base. Like Brian Hartline still the co-OC. He's obviously not doing any play calling, but he's one of the best recruiters in the country. You know, he's brought in how many Pro Bowl wide receivers, you know, in, in the past few years? Like all the guys we have seen, all those receivers coming in. Um, and now Jeremiah Smith, you know, the number one player in the country, you know, he's still doing his thing. They don't need Chip Kelly to recruit. Um, you know, guys should know that they're coming in and, that, and he's going to be calling the plays. But, like, they have Brian Hartline to sell them on the program already. So they just need Ryan Day to take a step back, which is what he wanted to do this offseason. And Chip Kelly just takes over, just worries about play calling, doesn't have to worry about the transfer portal or NIL or anything. Like, he's got his one job. Um, and I, I think I think Ohio State is, is destined to be, you know, among the best teams in the country next year. Um, you know, and and we'll talk about this again when, you know, maybe when the matchup comes around. But I think last year or this past season, that was, that was Penn State's chance to knock them off. So, I don't know. I think it's going to be a good team this year. Yeah, I think they're going to be an interesting case study as well, Seth, what we were talking about earlier. How do you put the pieces? You get the pieces. They're talented. Can you put them together and make them a, a championship caliber opponent? I'd say Ohio State's probably in that group of teams, though, that, you know, I, I don't question whether – anything that they want to do works because I, I think they can kind of make the model. I don't think that, the, you know, regardless of what Ohio state does, I don't think there's a lot of programs that can look at Ohio state and said, we're going to build the program that way. Um, Seth, let's get into a little hoops talk to wrap up here. Air kind of goes out of the balloon of, of this nice run Penn state had um, recently with a couple big road wins and then a home win against Iowa lost to Northwestern over the weekend. Um how big is this Michigan State game tonight for keeping any hope of, uh, you know, major postseason, you know, appearances alive? Yeah, they're going to have to win this game. I, I think when we talked last week, we put the number at, you know, maybe two, three at most losses that they could tally before the season's end. Um, and that includes the Big Ten tournament. So I think this is a must win. You know, they had a nice, you know, three game win streak which I don't think anyone was expecting. And, um, you know, that alone should should do, you know, good for, for Mike Rhodes in his first year. It kind of says something about what he's been able to do here. Um, but, you know, tournament hopes aren't completely out of the door. So 
I, you know, I think they almost have to win out at this point. Um, and, you know, to get a win over Michigan State, you know, having already got a pretty significant win over Wisconsin earlier in the year, um, to get another big win here, I think, I think could be huge, especially when you're trying to battle um, for a spot when you don't necessarily have, you know, the most beautiful record in the world. Um, but the NIL, I mean, the, uh, sorry, not the, the NIT is still, um, you know, up for grabs and um, it's possible Penn State, you know, gets a spot there as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I, I think it's it's so unfortunate, stuff because I think for most of the season, this team has played like a team that should be, you know, flirting with the bubble. It was those three losses in Florida. It, it just seemed – when they went to that preseason tournament over Thanksgiving and lost all three games, I think that's probably where the tournament hopes die. Because even if you play decent basketball like they have since that point, that it, it just kills you, right? I mean, it, it, just, it just destroys your chances – um, and so I think that's unfortunate. But, but Seth, what do you think the potential here is for this program to to make an NIT run that people care about? Because I think you know Penn State has has in its recent history kind of made the NIT a, a stepping stone on, on a couple of occasions. You had um, the the Taylor Battle Nittany Lions; they go on, they win the NIT. Um, you know, beat Luke Herringoti in the <laughs> in Madison Square Garden in a game that. Um, tons of Penn State fans showed up at, at they filled the garden in, in what was that 2008 2009 then um, I think what was it 2016-17 somewhere in that neighborhood yeah. I think maybe it was a little bit later what was the last year they won the NIT stuff I think it was like 20 Tony Carr Lamar Stevens yeah it was like 2017-2018 or something and that was kind of the formation of, of that team that went on to be really strong in 2019-2020 yeah. that ended up being ranked in the top 10 of the country at one point what do you think the potential is of, of this group? And I, I know it's a different time. I, I know that you have NIL and, and, and there could be lots of transfers coming in the off season, lots of guys who are not on this team now that will be there next year. But um, do you look at, I guess, the Mike Rhodes regime in general and say, if they can make a decent NIT run, they could build enough of a case, uh, you know, to go into the portal and, and have a, a really solid team going into next season. Yeah, I mean, the reality is no one was expecting this team to make that NCAA tournament um, at any, I think, at any point of the season. You know, I think it wasn't until that three-game run that the conversation even began. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, there was a time where maybe you ask yourself, well, I don't even know if they're going to make the NIT because they started off so sour, you know, especially after that three-game loss, the three-game losing streak in Florida. Um, to cap off Mike Rhodes' season with a, a deep NIT run, I think – I think does good for your program. Um, it gives, you know, your team something to play for a little postseason experience. And then next year, if that was the standard, you know, they're just going to come back hungrier um, and, and really fight for a tournament spot. And they're going to have a lot of returnees next year. You know, um, a lot of the transfers they pulled in have multiple years of eligibility um, and they still have Clary, you know, Baldwin's got two more years. So, and now I think they're trying to, they're starting to figure out what works and what doesn't work. You know, we've seen Clary come off the bench, you know, last two games um, after Baldwin really took over. So they're finding they're finding their groove. And um, I think the more time to do that, the better. And that means, you know, playing together in NIT, if possible, I, I think is a good move for them. Yeah, I think they moved they moved the final four of the, the NIT out of Madison Square Garden, though. Right, Seth? I, I think that. I think that was a dumb move because I think that was what lent credibility to the whole operation was. Where, where's it at now? 
I, I think they're just rotating sites. I'm not exactly sure where it ends up at this year, but or maybe this is the last year at MSG or something. Okay. I, I'm not sure. I just I hate that move for the NIT because yeah. I think getting to play at MSG, the you know the 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 mecca of hoops uh, in this country, was a nice little like prize for these these kind of like consolation prize I, I think it was a cool thing and i think if you move it out of that venue i don't know there's anywhere else you could take it that, that kind of gives it the same gravitas which was already not a ton of gravitas yeah and that that would be ideal for me considering new york's not too far from here um i'd like to go you know we i went to the tournament last year and that was in des moines iowa 14 hour drive uh but it was great you know awesome experience um for not going to the tournament i'd, I'd go to the nit so hopefully to keep it close. Yeah, that would be neat. But Seth, uh, we we did it again. Another thirty minutes of solid Penn State talk in the off season here. We didn't even really get into what the players, I guess, had to say of of those guys, those first year guys. Any before we wrap up here, did any comments stick out to you of those first year guys talking to the media for the first time? Um, no, I mean, I, I was focused mostly on, on those cornerbacks. You know, the ones that we saw play significant time in the Peach Bowl, um, and you know struggled more or less you know those freshman cornerbacks la washington zion tracy um and now king mac is going to be you know playing some nickel this year um and he was originally a safety so i think the three of them they seem confident um they seem ready to go you know obviously it was a big wake-up call when when they're going against that old miss receiving core um so you know by week one i think them and then with the help of those two transfers that we talked about earlier um, I think the cornerback room should be a little better than, than what we saw um, in Atlanta. All right, Seth, thanks for that inside scoop. We will be back next week. Hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about. Um, if you enjoyed this video, please like it, help us out in the YouTube algorithm um, and make sure you stay subscribed to the channel so you can stay tuned for the rest of the week. We got a lot more Steelers talk to come. I'll be back on Thursday with Paul Zeiss talking um, all things Steelers. Christopher Carter in the North Shore Drive will be back on Friday, and then I'll be back again on Saturday with our uh, Steelers Mock Draft Tracker video, so make sure you're signed up for all that. We will talk to you again real soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.